0: hello and welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. It's no secret that as far as this podcast is concerned, all roads always lead back to Napa Valley. And while I wasn't born here, after having lived in Napa for about eight years now, Napa has very much become my second home. It has become the place that I have grown personally and professionally, and I built my life here. But in over 50 episodes, this is the very first time that we are making Napa the topic of conversation, which I'm so excited about because there's so much to unpack about this place. A lot of things that people don't know about Napa Valley. And I think one of those things is that as much as Napa Valley is an extraordinary place to visit and of course to make wine, what makes it truly special is the people. And this place is filled with farmers and winemakers, entrepreneurs, dreamers, and people from all walks of life and backgrounds. And it literally never ceases to amaze me who I get to interact with from day to day here. So this podcast will be a little bit of a love letter to this place, complete with all the things that we love all the things that we think you'll love when you're visiting. But I I couldn't be more excited to do it with a fellow dreamer, someone who has made her dreams a reality many, many times over. She's a polymath and an entrepreneur with a multi-decade career as a professional race car driver. She's been named the Times 100 Most Influential People list. She's been in two Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues, which is two more than me. It's Okay. She's appeared in a record-setting 14 Super Bowl commercials, and the reason that she's here with me today, the owner and sole proprietor of Somnium, a premium Napa Valley wine brand and vineyard. These wines have continuously impressed me over the years, and I am so excited after getting to DM with her a little bit on Instagram that we're finally getting to have a full-blown conversation today with you about one of my favorite places. Please welcome to the show, Santa Patrick. How you doing? Cheers,
1: cheers. Cheers. Well, here's to that. And, you know, I stop myself sometimes and I think, I'm working, mm-hmm. but I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. But I'm drinking. You're drinking. Like that gets to be my work now. The first thing I did after I retired in 2018 was go out to auction Napa Valley. Oh, and that's cool. And it was literally like days later I headed out there and I was like, drinking and driving is so bad, but now drinking <laughs> is my job.
0: I never considered that those two things are not, uh, usually things that we like to put together, but yeah. yeah, but you're doing it and you're doing it well. My mom says hello, by the way, she's a fan. So which uh. I think is kind of funny because she's not into race car driving at all, but she loves you. And I, I wonder, is that, that's like a thing though, for you though, right? Is there a lot of people who are fans of you who are not into race car driving that just like love your spirit uh. and your energy? Cause you do a lot of stuff. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think it's,
1: A little bit because I I just transcended past the sport a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, as a girl doing something in a man's world. Yeah. And breaking into that, like that sort of, that represents so many people trying to break down their own barriers. So that
0: really transcends beyond the sport. Well, you're in two male dominated industries, right? So you were in race car diving and now you're in Wine, which maybe we'll dive into <laughs> what that looks yeah, like for
1: sure later. Yeah.
0: But I mean wine, speaking engagements, speaking gigs.
1: There's not very many guys that do mm. those. Race broadcasting. I mean, I do 10 races now, seven F1, two IndyCar, two in NASCAR and one IndyCar. And I mean, there's obviously not that many of those. So I kind of have remained in that field. But I mean, the name Somnium, which is the name of my wine it means dream in Latin. Mm. So it was, you know, truly it was a trip I took back in 2006 to the Valley and went to Quintessa. And for those who are familiar, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, it's on the Valley floor. It's the huge, huge property. It's, you know, I think if I remember correctly, it was maybe 250 acres or something. And they have like a big knoll in the middle of the property. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just went up there one foggy November morning waiting for the fog to back down into San Fran and dissipate and drinking wine at 10 a.m. after going to French Laundry for the first time the night before. That's right.
0: It's the Napa way. And I was just like, not sure I'd be ready. I was like, how the
1: hell am I going to be ready to drink like at 10 a.m.? But there's magic in the valley and you're ready. So I just stood there and I just swirled my wine and looked over the valley and thought to myself in my head that it would be so cool to have something like this someday. And here we are.
0: Here we are. And I think You're not alone. I think a lot of people have come to Napa Valley and, you know, gone to beautiful vineyards, swirled their glass, looked around and gone like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to like, you know, make wine here, like live here, like come here all the time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I've been very fortunate to be a pretty good manifester of the things that I'm interested in want and to the point where I have to be a little careful how interested I am in something because the ball gets rolling pretty fast. So between the time that I thought that in 2006, that was November, I ended up seeing the property that I ended up buying. I saw the property December of 2008. Mm. So about two years later, I saw the property and it was really just like a literally like an inner monologue idea in my head. And at the time, you know, wasn't even going to the valley regularly. Yeah. I probably only went to the, I probably went back to the valley for, for a race the next year in 2007. And then, um, it was Probably like summer of summer, fall of 2008, that I started actually looking. So, mm. again, things just go really fast. Now, it takes a hell of a long time to like make your bottle of wine. And like, there wasn't <laughs> a bottle ready to be sold until 2017. But Jesus. that's a, it's definitely if you have time, you can do it a little bit slower. And it doesn't, you don't have to have your, you know, tens of millions of dollars up front to buy something already established. You can start slow, but slow it is
0: slow it is which is not usually your speed but in the valley no i've
1: realized that i do everything fast
0: <laughs> everything i had no idea and i say this
1: and you're like that sounds stupid danica like how did you not know but i didn't like i
0: i think that my life was just such a way that it suited yeah. it and everything was about doing it fast i moved here from new york and so getting used to the napa lifestyle here which is significantly slower because it has to be right we're at the we're at the mercy of mother nature yeah. Wine is is a slow sport, not a fast sport. It takes a long time to make wine and you have to be patient, but it's astounded me how similar New York and Napa are in so many ways. Like this place is just filled with like, as I said, like entrepreneurs and dreamers and you don't have the concrete jungle of New York, but you do have a lot of people who are very smart, you know, business men and women who come from all different backgrounds and have done amazing things. And you just never know who you're going to be talking to here.
1: There's a lot of money. I mean, a lot. It's got to it. be similar. There's a lot of money in New York, it, and there's a lot of money in the Valley. It,
0: it's stealthier here, for sure. I'm one of the poorer ones, probably. <laughs> Listen, I'm living. I'm in like a 300 square foot cottage because this is what I can afford here. But you know, we make it work. We make it look like it's a lavish life. All right. Which is the name of the game if you're in Napa Valley because it's all lavish here. It's all ex- it's all expensive. Everybody drinks wine. Fancy farming. Fancy. That's what I call it fancy. Farming. <laughs> fancy farming and this is my currency yes
1: the wine I mean that's true I mean like just being in the valley and just you know knowing that you can you know having spent so much time there over the years I used to go there a little bit more often for trips I still go there a couple times a year but a lot more of my work ends up being like wine dinners on the road and charity events and different Mm -hmm. things and uh people were literally using their wine, using o- olive oil, using cheese, using mm-hmm. beer. Like for those who don't know, a lot of winemakers in the Valley, they love their beer. They love beer. And, you know, people just using that as currency. And so I think it actually planted a pretty good seed for me to take that into regular life. Like, yeah, this is gifts. This is thank yous for people that do things for me. You know, it's a, it's a currency for me.
0: There was two articles that I wanted to to touch on before we got into the meat and potatoes, the podcast, one of them is there are these two wineries that are joining this lawsuit, uh, accusing Napa County of unconstitutional patterns and practices. And I don't know if you're familiar with Hoops winery in Oakville, Lindsay Hoops. She, she's second generation, here, second or third generation, I'm forgetting which, she filed a lawsuit against the County because they were being so restrictive as to, you know, what she can and can't do. And to the point where it was, it was actually, it is, allegedly unconstitutional. And so two more wineries, Smith-Madrone and then uh, another one called Summit Lake, they're joining this, this huge lawsuit. But I think, I mean, if you want to read the lawsuit, of course, I'll, I'll link it below. But the point is this lawsuit is sort of representative of, you know, and we love Napa, of course, but it's sort of representative of like all of the restrictions that are here in this county and like what you can and can't do and other regions don't necessarily have things like that. So one of the things that I always have to explain to people when they're visiting Napa Valley is like gone other days of you just walking up to a winery and like going and tasting because the county literally restricts like how many people that they can see per day or per week. They restrict like whether or not you can serve food. They restrict like you can't just open a hotel. You can't just have people stay at your place and do certain types of hospitality. Like there's a lot of county regulations. And so I think I think there's good and bad to all of this, right? But I think one of you know, the detriments to Napa Valley is the fact that we haven't been able to do the things that I've seen in some of these other wine regions like Mendoza and in Tuscany that can do these very like, all-encompassing experiences with food and with hospitality, with hotel stays, You know, being able to stay on the vineyard. Um, and I'm sure being a business owner and winery owner in, in Napa Valley, you probably experienced a handful of things that, uh, that Napa has thrown at you in that direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I went through a lot of the pro- those processes kind of early on, um, buying the property, getting it sort of permitted, erosion control, like mm-hmm. special species of
0: plants, natural artifacts. Was it planted when you bought it, or was it just a piece no. of plant- it, So you developed the whole thing. Yeah. So it was. Wow.
1: Um, there was a road. The, there was a road that went up to the top. It was an older man, eighty some years old, that owned it. I think his daughter was representing him. Mm there was some stakes up on the top of the property to put some small structure up there. Um, but then the fire of, it would have been then 2007, six, seven ish. Mm. There was a fire. Yeah. Maybe even as late as eight that came through and everyone was pissed at the property because it was too steep for the water trucks to get to the top because it's very slow, very steep.
0: Have you been there? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's super steep. I remember like my Range Rover had a tough time.
1: (laughs) There was a gate though at the bottom. This is always my secret hope for the AVA in that region Mm -hmm. was that the AVA could be called Cougar Ridge Mm. because the gate had a cougar, like cougar right in the middle. And it said Cougar Ridge across the top. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, man, it'd be so cool. We'd obviously have to make Chardonnay, but Uh, um, because of Cougars, Cougar, you know? no, of course, but it just had a gate at the bottom, and it. But other than that, it was not. There was nothing, and so yeah, it's uh, it, all the vineyard, all the six-ish acres of vineyard that are planted, and the road around the outside of the um, north side of the property, and the back side, which would be, I guess, the west side, east side of the property, are put in, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, there was nothing there. It was a it was a big feat. Wild. A lot of rock, a lot of rocks, a lot of rock to move, a lot of rock to crush, and all those rocks ended up making the terracing so that we could kind of create um, the water dispersion. So that when the water came down, then it funneled into these really cool tube systems, yeah. where it would disperse it evenly into the next the next block. Um, so it was a pretty advanced system and worked really well.
0: Wow! So you've definitely seen all of the, the county restrictions <laughs> and, all yeah, like, and you jumped through and, some hoops to make that happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, it took a long time and then getting um, the permits to put a winery in. Right. I did get those. It's just that my life took a lot of changes then in the sort of, you know, 2012, 13 time So, you know, it was, the cave was designed, um, big 10,000 square foot cave. Mm. The the permits were done there's no turn lane needed to put in. Like there was a lot of things that are really that were really great. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, there was just so much capital required. Yeah. You know, I already am a small boutique winery. I mean, we just don't make that much wine. And so it's just so much capital. And there's already been so much capital put into it. Yeah. That it was like, man. And then especially now having Julian fired as my winemaker. Yeah. Actually, the way I met Julian was that I went to his He went to his cave, Covert, Mm -hmm. to go check it out because it was done by the same architect and it was a very, very similar layout and same design to what my winery was going to be. That cave is beautiful. I've been there. And so I was like, man, let me go check it out. Let me hear what he has to say. And of course he said, always build it bigger than what you need, what you think you need, (laughs) which I wanted 5,000 square feet and this thing was designed to 10 And I was like, shit, I was really hoping you'd say less, but it was beautiful. And then I just really liked him and he's really smart and really had so much, such an ability to make so many different kinds of wines Mm -hmm. that it really felt like he not only could make what was best for the grape, but also listen to the proprietor and listen to the one that was you know, driving the creative direction of what kind of wine wanted to be made. Yeah. And I was like, he just is a really talented winemaker. So the relationship just grew and ended up making him my winemaker a few years ago. And um, so I now get the benefit of his facilities to be able to use. So kind of bridging that gap between just the, just the vineyard and having a winery.
0: Yeah, I think it's so smart. And I think it's one of those things that people don't realize is the case a lot in Napa is that a lot of a lot of wine brands that people know and love do not make wine at their own facility. They make it at, right. you know, either a custom crush facility or somewhere like Covert right. that, you know, you've got a great winemaker at the helm who's, you know, got some more space and can actually oversee the wines a little bit better that way. So he's not moving from place yeah. to place. Let's not forget
1: there are a lot of great wines that buy grapes and custom crush.
0: Yes, a lot of them. There are a lot
1: of wines that buy grapes and custom crush. They oh, yeah. don't own
0: anything. That's true. They don't they don't even own their own vineyard. Yeah.
1: yeah. So there I mean it's all available. It just depends on your your contracts for what what grapes you're able to get and where you make it, who your winemaker yeah. is and you know, it's um it's all possible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're lucky to have such good grapes on property.
0: For those of you dreaming of like owning a like you can do it. Like it's it's definitely possible to have a, a yeah. wine brand in Napa Valley. Like there's there's ways to make great wine without having your own facility. Of course, it you know, it always helps to own your own vineyard because you have control over more things. But
1: I think it kind of falls under that umbrella of like I've asked so many times, I'm like, what does it matter that's a hundred percent one grape? Mm. It doesn't. And it's not a super clear answer. It's not a clear cause answer because you can make a phenomenal blend and arguably maybe even better, but it's more about knowing where it came from and the ability to take one grape. Like you know, we've just started to bottle Cab Franc for mm-hmm. the first time because it's good enough off the property. But whether it's Cabernet Sauvignon or whether it's you know Cab Franc or or whatever the single varietal is, it's like to be 100% one of them or to be fully estate wine versus purchased grapes, it's kind of just more like a feather in your cap that you've got this property that can make this wine or you've got this wine that can just be 100% one grape and it has that much balance in it Yeah, because that's what the other grapes are used for is to balance it out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it really speaks volumes about the – the winemaker, the vineyard, the grapes—all the things. When you can basically take it off the property and make a hundred percent of one grape, it totally. just says, "Man, freaking nailed!" Like this is a special property.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. I think I think Napa, in a lot of ways, uniquely is able to do the single variety wines in the way that like Bordeaux can't. Like Bordeaux blends as an insurance policy. I mean, do it because every single year they have incredibly variable vintages that force them to be able to, you know, blend a little bit more Cabernet Franc in this year. Like maybe the Merlot didn't ripen the way they thought it would. And so they have to have the ability to play with that. Whereas like somewhere like Napa Valley, if you, you don't always have to do that. Like sometimes you have really great, Cabernet Sauvignon, a hundred percent clear across the board, and you can make that wine. Yeah. And especially when you have like a really good winemaker who can look at different barrels and even blend within that single varietal to make something like really unique and special. Because
1: yeah. you
0: know, you can have wines that are super one dimensional, uh, but you can have really incredible wines that are broad and have yeah. you know, complexities to them that are still single varietal. So,
1: yeah, and there's one. Mo- there's also another thing I think that's really special to the pro- my property. Um, and other properties have it too, but I just know it for mine is that, you know, the different bo- blocks on the property and the different exposures, they will produce. And and when they were harvested, because they're not all exactly harvested at exactly the same time, they can't be. And so that all plays a role in the flavor too. Right. So. You can do that. And then you can take those grapes and you can put them into different barrels, right? Like right. American oak, French oak, medium toast, more toast. Like you can totally adjust for that vineyard based on the barrels too. So there's so many ways to layer in the the way to, to make a nicely balanced wine. Um, but my property has two blocks on the bottom, which um, the fire of 2020. <laughs> <laughs>
0: One for me, one for my homies. Hang on a second. Pour one out for 2020. I mean, 2020
1: was already a mofo, right? Like it was already what it was. And I remember getting a call from Tracy, my GM, and she was like sending me pictures of the of the fire. And I saw where it was coming up, which is like the hourglass vineyard, Mm -hmm. which of course is why it's called hourglass, because of the shape of the valley there, Mm -hmm. which I found out when I finally went. (laughs) But it was coming up that valley, and I was like. Oh shit, it's coming.
0: Yeah.
1: Woke up in the morning and she said, it's gone. And I was like, and I just sat and then I and then I finally like got to emotion and I cried. And I was like, cause insurance blows yep. in the valley mm-hmm. for this stuff. So I was like, all right, what am I gonna do? I've already dumped so many millions of dollars into this. I'm right. like, do I keep going because I've come this far? do I cut my losses? Cause that's a guaranteed loss. I'm like, I don't know, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a vertical of every year I've made so far. I'm going to my friend's house and we're going to get hammered tonight. <laughs> that was my plan. It's a solid plan
0: when that happens.
1: I got the phone call hours later and it's, she goes, Tracy goes, it's not as bad as we thought. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, right. what does that mean? Julian had accessed the property from out around the back side. Wow. And it only took out, and I'm getting to the punchline here, it only took out really the bottom two blocks of the property, which were Cabernet Sauvignon. And they were the first two blocks planted back in what would have probably been 13 that they got planted. And so we made about 50 cases from the 13. We never sold 13. Mm. And I think we just open it for special occasions and let special people that are on our you know mailing list and our uh, very good customers um, buy and taste it. But the blocks were gone. The rest was OK. The edges were a little toasted, yep. but we didn't lose the rest of it. And so Julian, knowing that I loved Cab Franc, said, I think we should replant Cab Franc on those bottom two blocks. And I was like, great, let's do it. And so now we make enough Cab Franc that we can, you know, we can make single varietal Cab Franc. One of the other par- blocks that got replanted probably 2015, 16, something like that, was the very top block on the property because the the, the property is very, it comes up to a plat- uh, like a plateau.
0: Mm-hmm. And on top
1: of that plateau um, is where the Cab Franc um, is. And it's really like about a half an acre. Oh, that's it. It's only half an acre. And so now we have even more. So now we have Cab Franc, which it's, is in it's my glass right now.
0: And it's phenomenal. It's so I beautiful. Mean, I, for people who don't, and it's brand new, I love Cab Franc. And if you've never had, I mean, we talked about Cab Franc from the Loire Valley, but to have Cab Franc from Napa Valley as a single varietal is like a very, very different experience. And it will give you a lot of the things that I think Cabernet Sauvignon gives you, but it's so much more interesting. And not that we don't love Cabernet Sauvignon, but I find that Cabernet Franc. Gives you like this really unique play of like all the fruit that you want from Cabernet Sauvignon, but then you have like floral stuff on one side that's like very rosy. And then on the other side, you have this like savory, dark, sort of brashy undertone that I love so much. And like it's just sandwiched together and it's so interesting and so complex. And what I love is like it's just a little lighter than Cabernet. So I feel like Cabernet Sauvignon. So I feel like I can drink it longer.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree with all that. To me, there's like a real femininity to mm-hmm. it, like on the front end, mm-hmm. like like initial in your palette. It's really soft and it's really it's a more delicate floral, but like just gentle wine. Yeah. And I, I for me, I'm really big on texture. So mm-hmm. for me, the the tannins are really plush. Yeah, they're in, softer. In for sure. And Cab when done right. And um, and then on the back end, like you said, it's got a little bit more of that. What was the word you used? Brash. Yeah,
0: it's a little brash, a little like underbrush. Brash. Yeah, brash, or
1: even almost like a earthy, or mm-hmm, like a totally like a finish, like a like an earth finish. And uh, for me, I mean, that's why. I mean, I make. I love all wine, so I love French wine, and that's very much what I love about French wine is sort of the the earthy sort of terroir. Sort of texture to it, so on the back end, it just like finishes with that, and it's just.
0: Did you grow up with wine on the table? Did your parents drink because you know a lot about wine? Never. This is like all new for you ish.
1: My parents like never drank alcohol at home, mm. the only time they drank is if they went out, um, or there was a party, same holidays. It was like beer, yeah. or vodka, Sprite. I don't know, like I remember when I first started racing back in the states after I would lived in England I lived in England from 16 to 19 racing I came back and then I got a ride with Bobby Ray Hall and then I was you know racing all over the place at bigger IndyCar events and so I had a great sponsor and they would do dinners all the time and my parents would sort of be ordering like their vodka whatevers and I was like it's just a lot more socially acceptable to just have a glass of wine. Like, just have a glass of wine. This
0: is you at, at how old? 19?
1: Yeah, 21, 22. Wow. I started visiting the valley in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's not true. I mean, I, I went – actually, um, once upon a time, I was married, mm. and I went – my bachelorette party was in Napa Valley. Wow. <laughs> I think we literally went to a um, a winery – which is really more of like a cellar door yeah. on twenty nine that said like best wine ever, you know, like kind of thing. Okay. Like
0: it's hard to do your bachelorette here now. It's not easy, is it? It's hard, yeah, because like not a lot of people do groups, and then
1: house rentals are a little weird there too, right? House rentals,
0: yeah, that too, yeah. There's not a lot like that's the thing with Napa. Is like you know you have you have to plan coming here, and you have to do it like you could do it on a whim if you wanted, but it's expensive. There is to your point, there is no like. VRBOs. There's no Airbnbs. Like there's a few in downtown Napa, but like up in up Valley, like in St. Helena, there's, I think there's a cap of like 15 to 20 Airbnb permits. So you really won't find anything up here. So yeah, for like, you know, a group of 10 girls to find a place to stay. Like
1: there's some bootleg ones.
0: Oh yeah. There's definitely some bootleg.
1: ones.
0: Do you think that'll change? Do you think the Valley will
1: recognize that it's, like, will there be a benefit or is it actually a benefit to keep it
0: restricted so it keeps it more quiet and private? Like, what is the right answer for the Valley? The only thing it's doing, and I think this goes back to the article that I was talking about earlier, like, the only thing it's doing is, like, screwing the little guy right now. Like, the only thing it's doing is taking money out of the pockets of people who, like, genuinely need it more than ever because one of the other things that happened recently was, like, Rombauer and Masakin just sold... I think Rombauer for different reasons, but Mastikin, you know, Mastikin was a small white wine brand that uh, Dan Petrosky, who's been on the pod- podcast before, it was his brand. And like, you know, as I've heard him talk about before, like it's so expensive, as you know to make wine in Napa Valley to market it to do all of these things and so you know Dan basically looked at what he wanted to do and if you know if you want to scale your business which it sounds like he wants to do like the only way to do that is to partner with someone like Gallo not the only way but one of the best ways to do it is to partner with someone yeah. like Gallo and you know start to to dig into like their economies of scale which you know people don't have and so if you're a Smith Madrone or a Hoops or Summit Lake you know these guys are small i mean they've been around for 20, 30 plus years and they don't have the resources. So like, you know, these- rest- I
1: mean, you've been to Europe. It's way cheaper. That's what I'm saying. It's like, way, way, way cheaper. Look, I went, you went to Italy. I went, I was in Italy this summer. I went to Tuscany, Multicino. I like, I went yes. around and it was way more expensive than anywhere else in Italy. I mean, I was buying like $180 well, dollar go, yeah. bottles of wine, which, and the reason why is because Americans came in. Americans helped develop that area. Yeah, And I was like, that makes sense. But, like, it costs a lot of money to make a bottle of red wine for me. Yep. So I'm not even marking it up. Like, what is I'm um, like, it's $185 a bottle. Yeah. I mean, like, by the time I pay for employees and do all the things, like, yeah. I'm just here to tell you.
0: I don't make any money yet. Right? No, you're not. Char- you're not charging it. You're not charging those prices because no. you want to. You're charging those prices because you have to. Well, you
1: know, I have people that I have multiple people that work for me, and mm-hmm. they all have to live in the valley. Yes. So, like, cost of living is expensive. Yeah. So their <laughs> their salaries expensive. Right. Winemakers expensive. Employees are expensive. It all factors in. The land is expensive because there's not that much of it. Like the farmers are expensive. Like everything's expensive and. It is what it is. Yeah. I, I mean, look, the the the, the lower pri- price wine in my portfolio, it does go faster. Yeah.
0: Well, it also the lower price wine takes significantly less time to make. Also, some of it. I mean, the rosé goes quicker. Right. You don't have to yeah. age a Sauvignon a Blanc yeah. for four years in barrel, an expensive New French oak, right? Like it, it, it does take a little less time. This, by the way, is this your? Ins- was this the? So I know the first wine that well, at least on your website, it says like you were inspired by the Illumination. Sauvignon Blanc, or you said that? Somewhere. Yeah, that was it. That is was the wine the, that I was drinking. Is this the Quintessa?
1: I was standing at Quintessa, drinking Illumination. It was the first year that they made it. It was Aaron Pott that was the winemaker at that point in time. It was the first stab at it. I still love it to today. I think it's a fantastic white wine. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it just kind of hit my notes. I mean, for me, I love a Sable Blanc, and our Sable Blanc has become you know, a bit, pretty big success these days. People are just loving it's it. Delicious. They're almost surprised they love it. People that don't either like white wine or, or, you know, or just kind of dipping their feet in, toes in, they they really end up loving the Sav Blanc right now. And my style of Sav Blanc is just a little different. I really love my Sav Blancs to um, have the weight of a chardonnay, yep. but the flavor profile of a Saint Blanc. so, and I'm more in the tropical stone fruit sort of preference area with the flavors versus more of the citrus. So it's got some because it's it's aged in in oak mm-hmm. so it has the weight from that, uh, which is more like a chardonnay. Yep but obviously Sauvignon Blanc. So it's, you know, it's kind of that, to me, that perfect marriage between the two.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a creamier, richer, more textured style of a Blanc. But like the key to a a Blanc done in this way is like you still have to have freshness and lift, which this definitely still does. So like, I'm still loving it. It's And actually what's interesting is I didn't put this back in the refrigerator. And so it's actually really yeah. close to room temp right now. And it's yeah. still really, really good. And it would not have been... It's not a block Is not a wine that I drink at room temp. It's a wine that I drink cold. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, they can be very hot. Yeah, you no, know, they just don't don't drink right. No, but well, that's good. That's good. always a good sign when you can drink wine. In fact, I um, I was uh, I just came from Burning Man. Yes, I still
0: alive. I saw you made it. I was so worried for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was not that bad. The media made it look really? so much worse than it was. I kept getting texts from people, and they were like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "What happened?" I did something happen? And it's like, oh no, it's rain. Like FEMA's getting called in. I'm like, what? But I mean, I had, you know, all of my reds, like the whites I could put in the fridge, but I drank wine all except for one night. And now we're talking about the desert, like late nights. Like I didn't drink alcohol all night, but like every night I drank and only one night I drank tequila. Every single other night I drink wine. Nice. And all the reds were just sort of hanging out in the bus in a in a wine case. They weren't, in, they weren't chilled at all. And they were all amazing.
0: So I have three wines total. And for those who are listening that are part of the podcast wine club, the third wine that I've opened is the class. It's 2021 classified. I have two, wait, is this I have three 2021s in my glass right now. So if you're part of the wine club, you have the 2021 classified. Uh, which I also have my glass right now. And this is an NDA wine. So we were talking earlier about, you know, you don't necessarily have to like own your own vineyards or, you know, have all the fancy things. Like you can have, there's lots of different ways to do this. So this is like considered an NDA wine, which is wine that came from a source that cannot be disclosed. What does that mean? So, okay. So for example, let's say like Julian was doing, I'm not saying you do this, but let's say like Julian was doing a blending trial, right? And he decided that he wanted like, three barrels of this, or he wanted like 70% of this and like 30% of something else. And so when you did that math, there was like maybe two barrels left over, like a barrel or something left over. So what some wineries will do is like they'll sell that barrel or they'll sell bottled wine to like, you know, places like Wine Access as long as they don't disclose the source. And so it actually happens a lot in Napa Valley. It's not only for that reason. Sometimes it's a cash flow thing um sometimes you know it's a space thing like we don't have enough space for it and so you know people will buy either the the barrels full of the juice or they'll actually like buy shiners and then it gets relabeled so that's called it's like an nda wine or a private label or white labeled wine and so that's what this is and so you can get like you know really good value that way because a lot of times when people do this they're trying they're yeah. selling it for pennies on the dollar right they're selling it to just like make money quickly or move space or do whatever they're trying to do. And so that's what this wine is here. And so like, you can disclose a little bit about the wine, but you can't disclose a lot. And so the one thing they were able to disclose about this wine is that it comes from the Rodeo Drive of Napa Valley, which if you've ever been to Napa or read anything about Napa, you know that is a little place that's technically not an AVA called Bridger Hill, which is where like all the you know a bunch of fancy wineries live. But and then also the
1: other super plush areas down on the valley floor, though. That's like yes, actually not that far from there that's on the valley floor. That's sort of your um screaming eagle region. Oakville. That's Oakville like Cross. What, what would that be called? Is that Yountville?
0: Or that's, is that that's Oakville proper. And that is like that is Oakville. that is the crown jewels of Napa that live in that yeah. area. So yeah, you've got yeah. Everything from Screaming Eagle, Dalla Valley, Rudd. Is that like Beckstoffer too? Is that like Beckstoffer? So Andy Beckstoffer owns a bunch of vineyards. He doesn't have anything on that side of Oakville, but on the other side of Oakville, they have the Beckstoffer Tokelon vineyard, which is like. Yeah, you know, yeah. Probably, yeah. So Tokalon's is probably like the most heralded vineyard in Napa Valley in terms of like,
1: cause the alpha omega gets sources, a lot yes. of grapes and they have, they, they use the vineyard name as the for it and the Tokalon.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know this, but like in order to use that name, so there's like, if you've ever bought grapes from Andy Beckstoffer, or you'll know this, he takes a percentage mm-hmm. of what you sell the bottle for. So that's how much the, the yeah. grapes cost. Hey man, it's like
1: naming rights. I mean, yeah. it's like, that makes sense yeah. to me.
0: So like, you know, if you want to charge $500 a bottle for your wine, that's great. But Andy Bexoffer gets a cut of that in order to put the name of the grapes on that. So that's how he, that's how he works. Yes, the Tokolan Vineyard is on the uh, western side. So that's like the Mondavi area. Across the street from that is Opus 1. And then kind of in that yeah. middle area there, you've got a whole bunch of like really incredible wineries as well. Yeah. Everything from like Groth, which was the first 100-point wine in Napa Valley in 85. Ruttestate. Was it? Oh, wow. Groth, yeah. The 1985 Groth Reserve is the very first 100-point wine. After that, it was uh, Screaming Eagle and Dalla got – well, Screaming Eagle was rated up, but Dalla Maya, and Screaming Eagle both made by Heidi Barrett. Hang
1: on. I have to tell you then. This is why I make Cab Franc now. Okay. So David Abreu. Mm Mm-hmm who's a very famous viticulturist, fa- farmer, in yep. the very
0: fancy farmer. Very
1: famous for his farming and he also makes his own wine too. He's had like at least at whenever re- last point I knew, he had 8 100 point wines of his own. That sounds
0: right,
1: yeah. Never mind how many he farmed for. His son Rico yes, is our he's a driver. A driver. That's right. And so I was dating a driver at that point. We were really good friends with all of them and so we went early to Napa Valley before our race in Sonoma. And stayed and hung out. We lived, stayed at Meadowood and just had a great time. Although Calstar Ranch was my favorite until mm, now. It was so good. And we went around with David for a couple of days and we were up at Dalla Valle And uh, David turns to me because I love the Maya. Mm. And he goes, He was the one. He goes, Do you realize you love Cab Franc? And I was like, <laughs> And so then I had the difficult conversation with my winemaker where I was like, can we replant some maybe like Cab Franc? Would there be a good place for it? And that's where the top block got turned over from Cabernet into Cab Franc back in like 15, 16 years. And so that's what we're drinking. And um, now the bottom blocks are Cab Franc as well. So it was David Abreu that told me you love Cab Franc. That's right. And it was because of Dalla Valle Ma
0: Maya. Yes, because it's a Cabernet Franc dominant wine and a beautiful, probably the most beautiful, like old school example of Cabernet Franc being done in Napa Valley for like 30 years now. You're seeing a lot more Cabernet Franc kind of, you know, pop up in the valley. And it's it's also, you're seeing a lot more expensive Cabernet Franc. So I think at one point Cabernet Franc was the most expensive grape, like in terms of raw materials. It was like, I think the average price per ton was like nine or 10,000, um, which was like over a thousand dollars more than what Cabernet Sauvignon was going for. I mean, it's definitely skewed because of, you know, some of those grapes were coming from the Tokelon Vineyard. But if you look at who's producing Cabernet Franc in the Valley, you're in very good company because all of the top producers have now started at least considering bottling or a small bottling a little bit of Cabernet Franc. So it's it's definitely going to be a huge trend in Napa. So if you're visiting Napa and people are tasting the Cabernet Franc, I think that's, that's for me the one to watch in Napa is Cabernet Franc. And it has been for a while. And there's some great examples of it, present company included.
1: Can we talk about Chenin Blanc? Because after going to South Africa, I would just love to make a Chenin Blanc because Chenin Blanc was my favorite.
0: Chenin Blanc used to be a huge thing here. It did? Oh, my God. What happened? Yeah, so Chenin Blanc was huge for a really long time in the Valley. Um, Damn it. Yeah, all the way until like the 80s, 90s. And then a lot of it got replanted. But yeah, like in the 60s, you saw a lot of Chenin. And there's still some great Chenin vineyards. In fact, if you know uh, the Mandavi Sisters – on the Peter Mandavi side, so the Charles Krug side, Angelina Mandavi, she and her sisters make one from in the Aloft label. That's beautiful, super, super. Like, damn, I want some of that. It's really, really good. Aloft, Aloft. Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask Tracy for that. Yeah,
0: she'll know. She it, it's a beautiful. She, I think she, because she's friends with them. So. I'm sure. Yeah, they're they're so great. Yeah. They make their wine up at um, up at Brasswood. Another, you know, they they do custom crush up there. Although Angelina kind of overseas, that whole thing. But yeah, I think if if you're in if so you tasted Chenin Blanc in South Africa and got excited.
1: Went to South Africa in like 2008 for vacation and every vacation had a wine tasting aspect like part to it. Mm-hmm. So it was like wine tasting in Franschhoek and then it was safari and Kruger. Mm. That was kind of the gist of it and then finish off in Cape Town and go home. And so we somehow got hooked up with Andy Erickson because he, him, and a guy they started a winery in South Africa. Andy and Erickson we did? went there.
0: Pretty damn sure. I, it wouldn't surprise me, but I had not heard that. That's kind of cool. It was
1: totally Andy Erickson. I just like looked him up because yeah. I was like, let me be, not be an idiot. And it was totally him. That's so
0: cool. Andy does a lot, so it doesn't surprise me. But he's also like. I mean, he's he's an incredibly talented winemaker. I'd be very curious to see what he does in South Africa. That would be cool to see. Well, look,
1: Pinotage sucks. It does suck. So <laughs> minus Pinotage. Is, have you been – I mean, like, have you been to South Africa or have I you haven't, tasted much Pinotage? I
0: haven't. But I have the the Pinotage I've tasted can stay in South Africa. I am not a fan. I, I can get behind the Chenin Blanc and I can get – there is some great Chardonnay. There's compensis Chardonnay that I really like from there. But – Hmm. Yeah, I have not I've not loved the reds, specifically the Pinotage yeah. coming out of South Africa. I don't know. Like there's very few wine regions that I won't drink from and there's very few things that I won't drink. And I am cons- consistently surprised every time I go out to restaurants. And I think like you, like I've traveled to so many different wine regions in the last few years and my eyes have been open to a lot of different wines that I have not traditionally been a fan of. Like Tuscany, for example, not my first choice of wine region to drink from. However after I've been there three times in the last three years, I, I love Tuscan wines. Like I can't get enough of Chianti, Bruno de Montalcino, Rosa de Mochettino. Like I, I'm all day for Tuscan wines. And I think part of it has to do with understanding how they can play a role with food and how they can play a role in like with your life. And I think once you like live and breathe that to a certain degree, it starts to make sense. So I fall in love with those.
1: I have a question mm-hmm. because I love taking trips based on wine name one or like your top three places to go for wine tasting and experience. Like this Mm. doesn't need to be, you know what I mean? Like, cause it's a whole thing. Like if I'm taking a trip, like where do I go? Because it's more than just the wine. Right. So give me like, give me a couple of ideas.
0: Mendoza is like way at the top. Mm. It is such a cool place. I mean, like you're literally surrounded by the Andes mountains, which is breathtaking at any time of year. And then, like, it's also still like dirt roads, so it's it's very rustic. But then you get to some of these places, and they have like restaurants, hotels, and like in a in a like, not in a cheesy way, like in a really cool way. So I love Mendoza; I think it's really really cool. Honestly, Chianti Classico in Tuscany, like I think that's one of the coolest, most beautiful places. And like, there's a lot of different experiences that you can have there, especially if you go like the Agriturismo route, or if you go to a winery that has like a food pairing situation. And then after that, there's some – if you go to the right bank of Bordeaux, there's some really cool places on the right bank of Bordeaux. There's some really cool places there that I would happily go revisit. But there's so many places that I haven't been. So that's the, – on the experience side, because I I consider that a lot. Like I'm thinking about like the whole thing. and like, what other cities yeah. am I going to visit when I'm there? Accommodations, like, what's the food cities, ambiance,
1: view, food. Yeah, all of it. Mendoza, Chianti region, and what was the last one? Bordeaux.
0: Bordeaux. Yeah. Very right very Bordeaux. classic, very old school. But if you stick to like the right bank and outside of the left bank, I think you'll have a little bit more fun in terms of experiences because it's a little bit more like laissez-faire. What about you? Three places for experiences. Where are you going? New Zealand. Mm, I have not done.
1: Queenstown. Okay. I mean, that whole area is so great. The food, food. is amazing. Oh, the food is amazing. It's so fun. The wine's great. The people are hilarious. They have such a fantastic sense of, sense of humor. Mm. So I'd say Queenstown area for wine tasting in South, in New Zealand. I would say, I mean, Franchuk was amazing. It was so stunning. I was surprised how beautiful it was. Mm. Like, I expected to be some barren desert, but it was just these green, lush vineyards. Really? And then these mountains and, like, cliffy mountains, and it was so stunning. And the food is so unique mm. and different and wonderful. Like lots of like, like deer meat, like, you know, mm. venison style meat. So I really loved that. It's impossible for me to not include Napa Valley. Sure. I mean, it's in there. It should always be in there. It's the best food. It's phenomenal wine. that um, if I had to pick one other, I don't think I've been there. I haven't done enough to like be wowed. Mm. I mean, I was really like. Italy was cool and Tuscany was cool, but
0: don't you go to like Monaco for like racing or something? Doesn't that I make- did?
1: I went to actually went to well, I didn't go for the races because I'm so Monaco's the same day as the Indy five hundred and the Coke six hundred, uh, okay. and so I was always working them. And then as soon as I retired, I've been doing the Indy five hundred broadcasting since then. So I'm always busy. Um, the only year I could have done Monaco and the Indy five hundred for broadcasting was um, COVID. So uh. I. I I was not able to do that, but Monaco. Um, I did go there for the for a week this summer. Loved it.
0: Beautiful. What's not to love? It's like Loved you know it. Napa Valley and South of France. I went and saw
1: a horse show at her, Port Hercules. Like it was the oh, most stunning cool.
0: backdrop ever. That's very cool. Where do you eat when you're in Napa? Like, do you have a do you have a routine when you come back here? Like, do you have like a coffee spot? Charter or, Oak. Charter Oak, obviously, which is where I just was. Charter yes. Oak.
1: If there's new people, French Laundry. I mean, if there are people that have not been, then we do that.
0: It's a must. I mean, for people who are like, should we go, should we not? I think French Laundry yeah. is outstanding and it is expensive and yeah. like, it will, but it will be memorable and they will ensure that you have the best time ever. Like that level of, hosp- of hospitality yeah. is incredible.
1: The hospitality is amazing. I, however, had a phenomenal time at Silver th- or a single thread.
0: Oh, good. In Heelsburg
1: love single thread. It's just a drive, yeah. you know. If you're staying in the valley, it's you know, it's a bit of a drive. Yeah. But single thread was phenomenal. Yeah,
0: three what
1: else do I love in the valley? In St. Helena, there's a little coffee shop right um, in the main part. It's, it's not right off the right on the main road. It's just yeah, off the main Napa road. Valley Coffee Roasters.
0: You got to go to Station. That's where everybody hangs out. You're not too far. You got to go a little further south. Where like that gas station? That's the place to get coffee in Napa station i mean
1: taylor's like you got to go to taylor's well yeah
0: god well so so joel got whatever god, so joel got who owns taylor's gots whatever he owns station so like it's it's the same and they do all their own pastries and they have coffee but if you want to go mm. see a winemaker in napa valley go to station at like 7 30 o'clock in the morning like it's where everybody like gases up forget their coffee there's seating out there it's the best i'm there like every day do they do espresso martinis late at night? Then too, they don't, and I don't know anywhere that does an espresso martini around here. Actually, except for probably the... Are you shitting? No, me? I don't know. I've charted. That's a crime. I know. I I love an espresso martini, and in fact, when I, I went to the Kentucky Derby this year, and I we were sitting in like the we had this like steakhouse uh, seating situation, and at like four p.m. before the race, I was like, I need an espresso martini, and so I ordered them at the bar, and like the whole place started ordering them after. The All the people that I was with, they had never had one before, and I was like, "They're the most delicious thing that you'll ever have." Like you really can. And only- they're so simple. They're so simple. Like they're clean,
1: simple. Yeah. They're not like a. They're not like a big sugar bomb. It's like liquor, well, coffee, and a little be. bit of something
0: else. <laughs> I <was> making them.
1: <laughs> I
0: sometimes have them made with tequila, even. You know what? I just had one made with tequila, and I loved it. I love a Negroni. I love an espresso martini. If I'm not drinking wine,
1: Oh, Negroni, no, can't no, can't do the Negroni, can't, no, can't, no, can't do the bitter, can't, no. They're just like they taste so sweet and weird. Oh, they who's taste like baked sugar or something. They're terrible, oh, weird. terrible. No, I
0: like Campari, but it has to be the it has to be the good gin and the good Vermouth and Campari. Like you can't. I'm a wine girl. I love like. That.
1: I, I'm, I mean, like it's no bullshit. Like I drink wine. Like I rarely drink anything else. sometimes I'll drink some tequila, maybe vodka, but for the most part, I almost always drink wine. I mean, keeping in mind, I was at Burning Man and I drank wine.
0: That's true. I don't do the cocktails a lot, but when I do, you know, I make them count but i'm a I'm a wine person it makes me I feel better on wine. I prefer wine. I think wine's more interesting. I can drink it slower, and I can drink a easy drink of a food, which is the most important part. The only advice I always give to people when they come to Napa is like like I said, plan, hire a driver if you're going to be drinking like don't don't try to like you're gonna you're here in Napa to drink wine. If you go to Del Dotto, just expect that you're going to be wasted after oh really well del Del dato had a, oh, has always had a bit of a reputation for getting people drunk in the valley, which is kind of their jam, but they're also see very my fun. friend Baradal,
1: omega same thing same
0: thing yes they they help you revisit the wines a lot. that's their M L. Would you like to retaste this? Would you like to revisit that? That's like. Would you like to revisit that? Is there anything that you like that you want to revisit? Yeah, that's the classy way to ask for more wine. If y'all don't know that, that's that's the like universal. I would like more of that. Is may I revisit the Sauvignon Blanc? It's basically code for I'm not sure I want to buy it, but could you please convince me a little bit more? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you, if you're if you're tasting, your in person, You pour a little more, and then you slide that that little sheet that you fill out a little closer to them and make sure the pen is pointing towards Sir What you exactly they can fill it out.
1: Here's the way I do it. I don't know if it's the right way, but when I go wine tasting, I buy a case. That's my deal. Like I'm going to places that are amazing and there's no charge. So here's the deal. I buy a case. Like I put together a great case. So if you're getting a free tasting, if somebody's calling it in, if you're going somewhere nice, just
0: A case together. Yeah. The wine's not going to go to waste. You're going to find at least a half a case. Like, I love that. I think the people of Napa Valley will appreciate that advice.
1: That's the price of admission.
0: Definitely plan on buying wine here. That's the whole point of you coming to Napa. Also, like when you get home and you have all of those wines, like you're not going to be mad that you have those wines. No. Like they're going to show up and be like, oh, like what a great souvenir that we purchased in Napa Valley. Yay, us. And start upgrading your
1: daily drinkers, man. That's right. Life is way too short to drink bad wine.
0: You know, I will – I'll wrap it up with a story that's like sort of a um, – it's not a Debbie Downer, but it's a silver lighting story. So when I was working at press, Leslie Rudd, who is a billionaire, he owned the, the restaurant and he owned Rudd. And he always had a stash of wines in the cellar. And he'd come in from time to time and he'd say, you know, grab me one of my wines from my cellar. And so one night he was with like two friends. It was like a Wednesday or something. I brought him a wine and he had great wines back there, but he also had some of his own wines. And so one night I grabbed him. He had a couple of like first growth Bordeaux. So I brought him a first growth Bordeaux and it was like a Chateau Margaux or something. And I said, here you go. And he said, oh, I said I can't have that wine. It's a Tuesday. It's a Wednesday night. I'm here with my friends. I can't have that wine. I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, bring me something like less expensive. He's like, I don't want to drink something that fancy. So I brought him something less expensive. Wasn't that fancy. And a month later, he died. And I went back in that cellar and I looked at I looked at that bottle of wine and I cried. And I I, I went, how sad is that that he didn't drink the wine that he had, like the special bottle that he clearly had for some reason, he never got to drink. You can't take it to the grave. He never got to drink it. He could have enjoyed it with his friends that night, but he chose not to. And it was such a good reminder at that point for me to just be like, just drink the wine. Like we don't, tomorrow is not guaranteed. We don't know if you're ever going to get to pull that cork. So if you have the opportunity to pull the cork, pull the cork.
1: That's a great story. That's a fucking great story. Yeah. Honestly, like if that doesn't say seize the moment, I mean, if you need any more proof, watch Sideways, right? <laughs> like watch the old movie Sideways <laughs> and, and you'll realize that instead of the night to pick the wine, make the wine, make the night. Yes. Like, you know, go like, tonight I'm opening up that cab front. like I've been waiting for. Like, like who cares? Like, I, it's a Tuesday. It doesn't matter. Like, tonight's going to be awesome because this is what I'm opening. Yeah. It's like, you know, just do it. open the wine. You'll always get more. You'll just always get more.
0: It'll come around when it's supposed to and you'll come back to Napa and you'll get more. You can always reorder on the website. Like, it, I don't know. I just, I'm so glad that I, I'm sad for, him and I'm sad for that moment, but it like I'm so glad that I got to learn that on a little earlier into my wine drinking career because it has like motivated me to open the great bottles and we've had some pretty epic wine tonight, which I'm not, you know, it's a Friday night, like not that uh, it needs to be Friday, but wait, hang on, I just
1: pour a little splash because you know we've done it tonight. <laughs>
0: here's Cheers. to
1: a fantastic conversation about wine. Yes, thank you so much for your sharing, your expertise, your stories. Wow, and just for promoting wine and just the, the, there's just such a, I don't know. It's like a really, really fun little hobby, right? Mm -hmm. Hobby passion. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much integrity to it. And once people actually get out to vineyards, what you end up realizing is that it's not just something that is made by the made by the million in bulk. It's every single varietal is different. Every year is different. Every, every, it's always different yep. and you'll never get more of it. Yep. And it's very special and a lot of labor goes into it and a lot of love goes into it. A lot of millions of dollars goes <laughs> into it and people care. And I think that's in what you end up tasting. So
0: I think Cheers. so too. I taste it in the glass and I'm so grateful that you took the time to do this. I know you are very busy with all of your activities. You have your own podcast called Pretty Intense that people can check out. The wine, of course, is called Somnium. You also have a candle company that I just learned Man, about. Hang on, I burned it. It's like, can you see the flame? It's right oh, there. Oh, yeah. And it's in a really, really pretty stemless wine glass. So it's sustainable.
1: That logo right there, it's an eye. Voyant means the seer, um, And so um, they're in wine glasses. So when you're done, you just wash it.
0: I love that. And you have wine glass. I love it. I feel like so many times I've tried to save my like candle holders, and then I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this? This is useless. It's pretty and does nothing else. But that, you can actually drink wine out of, which I love. So we can find you in all the places. Uh, we'll obviously link everything below. For those of you who are enjoying the wine with us tonight from the podcast, it was the 2021 Classified. And if you want to enjoy the Somnium wines that we talked about, we had the Cabernet Franc. We had the Sauvignon Blanc. And did you have something else? Did you have rosé or no? Yeah. yeah you had rosé? Yeah the, yeah, the Somnium yep. Rosé. So you can find all of those on the Somnium website. And and then we also have – And the Napa Valley. Yeah, there's so many great wines. It's still a Cabernet, but we just – we purchased a little bit of Merlot. Right. Oh, we love Merlot.
1: And it's a little bit more balanced and ready to drink instead of having to age it at all.
0: And then, of course, if you're in Napa Valley, you have a beautiful new tasting room up in Calistoga that you should definitely go check out. That's right.
1: My friends were just there from um, LA, and they Facetime me actually when I was supposed to be starting this podcast. And I was like, "Well, I'm supposed to be doing a podcast. Look <laughs> at all this wine, but the Wi Fi is out, so my phone still worked, but the Wi Fi did not." Um, so anyway, um, it's uh, she's like, "It's beautiful," and they just had such a good time. The girls did such a good job. Yeah. Natalie and Tracy do an amazing job entertaining people. So please come see us and
0: and do a tasting and, and really see the space and get a feel for Sonoma. Yeah, and it's such a cute little town as well. So if you're in Napa Valley, go check it out. Danica, thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure. I'm so glad that we finally got to do this and I hope to see you when you're back in the Valley. Thank
1: you. Thank you.